0: This is the Big Life. Big, big, big life. The show for people who want to live life large. I'm Ray Waters. Jake Rothschild, owner of award-winning Jake's Ice Cream, J.D. Rothschild's Gourmet Hot Chocolate, and the Irwin Street Market, has been in the specialty food business for over 20 years. He is passionate about food, from growing it to developing recipes to getting his final product into retail packaging. Perhaps his greatest passion though is helping others do the same. In 2009 Rothschild created Irwin Street Community Kitchens and now helps others from concept to market in his 13,000 foot facility. Irwin Street Community Kitchens is one of three official shared kitchen concepts sanctioned by the Georgia State Department of Agriculture. Irwin Street Market is an incubator as well, retailing handcrafted artisan foods from all over Metro Atlanta. Rothschild was born in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and has called Atlanta home for the last 22 years. He resides in College Park in a home he renovated from an old bait and tackle shop and an old cricket hatchery. The property is called Sweet Selma Farms, and it specializes in pecans, figs, eggs, and herbs. Jake, I am thrilled to have you
1: on The Big Live. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me in, Ray.
0: You know, you and I were talking a few minutes ago. Uh, we have known each other. I've known about you for 11 years. Wow. And we'll pass each other. We'll be at parties. And I think we'll both say, we need to get together. <laughs> and we've never gotten together. So this is a blast for me. I appreciate it. Same here, Ray. It. I'm so happy that you are here. Since I don't know a lot about your story Right. Can we just jump right in? I, I you're sure. born in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Tell me a little bit about where you come from.
1: Sure. So my dad was in law school in Chapel Hill, and I was born on a uh, very very snowy day in February, and loved Chapel Hill as a little person, and then went back to school there for college. Uh, about 18 years later, and absolutely have North Carolina in my blood. I'm not too thrilled with their politics these days. That's been crazy. But I'm hoping uh, on Tuesday we're going to see something new. I think think you will. I think you will. So, Chapel Hill, now, I know food is a huge part of your life, your
0: success. Did you get into that
1: when you were super young? How did that happen? I did. I put myself through college. I had a little help from my grandmother, but for the most part, it was up to me to Pay the bills. And the first two years, I was a resident assistant, but I also delivered singing telegrams in a clown suit. (laughs) And that didn't get me as far as I would have liked, but it certainly made sure that I was able to go to class every day. And one of the jobs that I had when I got to Chapel Hill was working in a restaurant called the Hardback Cafe, not to be confused with the Hard Rock Cafe. And the very first night, we were working. Uh, the dinner shift and a lady at my table ordered hot chocolate and I'd grown up with a particular blend of hot chocolate that my mom would make and so I went looking to see where their canister of hot chocolate was and they said we don't have a canister go over there and open up a pouch of that Swiss Miss oh no and pour it into a cup of water and stick it in the microwave And I thought they were hazing me. I couldn't imagine that there was a hot chocolate in a pouch. I'd never seen it before right? because it had always been the same kind of hot chocolate in our house and it was delicious. So I made it and I stuck it in the microwave and it foamed and overflowed and it's a mess. And then I put my spoon in it to try to clean it up a little bit. And I tasted the spoon out of sight of the lady I was about to serve and it was terrible. It right. tasted like a hot chocolate Yoo-Hoo. Right. Oh, yeah. And I said way too loudly, I can't serve this. The owner of the restaurant comes running over and says, you're not serving anything. You're fired. And I said, but wait, 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 wait. This this, this is not like the rest of your food. Why would you be serving this stuff when you have such great things on your menu? And he says, well, this is what's out there. This is what's available. And I'm not going to try to explain myself to you. You need to go home. And I said, the guy's name was grant i said grant please i actually have a great hot chocolate please forgive me for being too loud let me bring that hot chocolate in tomorrow and you'll see what i'm talking about and he was the kind of guy that had vision in every direction and he said okay bring it in and i'll give you one more chance i went home after going to the grocery store that night and Collected the ingredients that I used to watch my mom get in the grocery store and I made it exactly like she did. She would get a aluminum foil turkey pan and sift it all together. And it was Nestle's quick and it was Cremora and it was carnation instant milk and powdered sugar. And it was delicious. So I brought this in and he said, well, this is better than what we were serving. But what did you say is in this stuff? And I told him and he whips out a magazine and it was Omni magazine. I don't even think they're in publication anymore. And it's an article about tropical oils. He had just been reading it and he says, this isn't gonna work. And now he's getting scientific with me. He said, but I tell you what, he gets real serious. Let me order the ingredients that I think you need to make really good hot chocolate like this, but without all the mess in it. And we'll make it all natural. Well, this was in 1986. I had never heard the words all natural before. I didn't know what he was talking about. If I had just learned that Swiss mist existed and now I've got this, I'm thinking I should just never have opened my mouth. Right, right. But a couple days later, this great big 18-wheeler pulls up and these 50-pound bags of whole powdered milk and whole powdered cream and 22, 24% cocoa and extra fine sugar are being wheeled off the truck. And he says, those are for you. And I said, what do I do with them? He says, well, after we close at night, you're gonna be in this kitchen mixing until you figure out the recipe. And I kept thinking, why is he so invested just because I opened my big fat mouth. Right, Why is he right. doing this? Three weeks later, I had created, with his help and the encouragement, the first instant all natural hot chocolate on the market. Oh my goodness. Anywhere.
0: And he knew he knew that was you he had knew the it was a hole in the market. Right.
1: And he was the kind of entrepreneur, he still is, his name is Grant Kornberg, and he's still one of my great inspirations in life because he never felt like you couldn't take that risk, that chance. And, and, and actually fall down and, and not survive. He always believed that no matter what risks you took, something good could come from it. Right. Some learned, yeah. Something learned would be good. Well, the financial aid officer that was working with me to make sure that I could afford Chapel Hill got a phone call probably about five weeks later. By this point, he was selling about 100 cups of hot chocolate a week. And the phone call she got was from Money Magazine and they were doing an article on students putting themselves through school in unusual ways. And she submitted my name, and the next thing I knew I was in Money Magazine oh my gosh. for developing the first instant all-natural hot chocolate. And I didn't go to school to be in the food business. I went to the creative writing program. I right. wanted to be a children's story writer. Right. Uh, I was on the other side of the Willy Wonka story. I wanted to be like Roald Dahl and actually write the story, not be the story. Right. But that's what happened. I, I, I still love to write children's stories and I still love kids on every level. I just think that working with them and playing with them and teaching them is a wonderful thing. But it turns out I kind of am a little bit of Willy Wonka. I, I do have him in me because right. I do think way outside the box. And I do create really good food uh, and sometimes take really bad junk food and make it healthy. And that's a mission I've been on is to take... Uh, the things that we take for granted in the store is this is all there is and turn it into something that you actually can and should eat.
0: Now, did you, the food part of it, was,
1: uh, your mom made the hot chocolate. Was she a great cook? Did you grow up around great food? She she was not a great cook. She And, and, and it wasn't that she was terrible. She just did not enjoy cooking right. when we were growing up. I think she's probably a very good cook now. Um, but she opened up a lot of boxes and she, uh, would take the frozen blocks of Jolly Green Giant and throw them into a pot of boiling water. I remember it well. And we would know that she was angry or in a bad mood when we got home because it would smell so bad in the kitchen. Things were smoking and things were overcooked. <laughs> and it was a, a it was, an, I did not love eating at home right. until uh, I was cooking for myself.
0: Now, so. Money Magazine writes this, did you stay in the food business right out of school? You just have
1: been in the food business from then on? Did you do anything else? Actually, I went to work uh, well, right out of school. I worked for my dad for a year in his law office, and then I moved to Atlanta. This was I was in just outside of Charlotte in Gastonia, North Carolina. Then I moved to uh, Atlanta, and not long after, I was very, very fortunate and got a job at Turner Broadcasting, and I worked for a, an amazing, talented woman who was responsible that year for creating the official Christmas gift that Ted Turner would give out to all his VIPs and friends and so forth. And I got to have a voice and I suggested that she do a Christmas basket filled with Turner owned Christmas movies. And I snuck in the hot chocolate as well. And, it actually led to my termination at right, Turner, right. not because it did anything sneaky, but because all the stories and all the letters coming back about the gift ignored the movies and talked about how great the hot chocolate was. Wow! I went up for a promotion of a job I really, really wanted. And the woman that I was interviewing then was a woman named Julia Sprunt. She was the most powerful woman in Ted's organization. And she said, I'm not gonna give you the job. I'm actually gonna let you go. And I said, What 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 have I done? She said, You've done nothing wrong, but I've tasted your hot chocolate and I've read the 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 thank you notes from Coretta Scott King and Dick Clark and Hannah Barbera. You've got to get out of this place and go do this. Wow. And I was terrified. She says, I'm not you don't have to go today. I'm gonna to give you six weeks to get yourself ready and then I want you to go and, and give it a shot. And I went and did a food show and set it up and had my hot chocolate tins and had my chocolates. I was doing all this stuff. And we got the Macy's account for the East Coast. And we got every major airport in the country in that very first try with the Parodies company.
0: That is that is crazy that and it would happen like that. From- and,
1: and that's two now, two people who did not really know me that well, who believed enough in the entrepreneurial spirit and the believe enough in me and what I had shown them so far that gave me the little boost I needed or the big boost I needed to, to go out and, and find my own way and not necessarily work for other people, but to create my own thing, which is what I've been doing
0: now. So, and that's the same hot chocolate that you still Oh yeah. Still Jake's yes. Rothschild hot chocolate. It's
1: JD Rothschild gourmet hot chocolate blend. Yes.
0: Now how about the ice cream? Did that follow shortly it, afterwards? It
1: did. We, we opened up I really didn't know what I was doing when I got to Atlanta and was out on my own trying to make all this work. That year that we got those two big accounts, Macy's filed for bankruptcy protection and the parodies company, the owner president went to prison for mail fraud. (laughs) And so the ironic thing was I was in school for journalism and, and public relations. And when we got stiffed by Macy's and did not get paid anywhere near what we were owed, CNN called and said, we want you to come on, CNN and talk about what it was like to be a small business person losing all that revenue to a company you trusted. And instead of me going online and going on the, on, on TV and badmouthing them, I talked about how on some level I could sympathize because Mm -hmm. I know how hard it is Mm -hmm. to go and run a business. And certainly a bigger one would be even harder. And that I hope they would one day pay me, but I didn't have any inclination to think that they would. And the ice cream came from my next attempt to be somebody in the confections business. We opened up a coffee shop before Starbucks and Caribou came to Atlanta and it was called the Museum of Contemporary Humorous Art, which was an acronym for MOCA. Right. And we had the hot chocolate there as part of what we did. And the next thing we knew the only artisan ice cream company in, in Atlanta closed and it was called Tim's and they were at the corner of Virginia and Highland. And somebody came in one day and said, You heard Tim's closed. And I said, Yeah. And they said, Well. And I said, Well, what? And they said, You need to start making ice cream. And I said, Why? They said, You make great hot chocolate. You can make great ice cream. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> it was really that simple. And I ordered a machine and the machine came in and I said, Well, where's the recipe book? And they said, We don't give out recipe books. And I said, Well, how am I supposed to use this thing? They said, Figure it out. And off they went. And I'm like, I just spent $16,000 on a machine, and I don't know how to use it. I don't know what to do with it. I went to the library, checked out a book from Ben & Jerry's, learned a little bit about what they did. I knew I didn't want to use eggs because that was the year of the big salmonella scare. And I literally tried this and tried that until I actually came up with a formula. And the ice cream eclipsed everything else we did. And that's how we...
0: I'm a big fella.
1: I've eaten a lot of food. I have
0: never <laughs> eaten ice cream as good as Jake's ice cream. It is that's unbelievable. so kind of you.
1: Now, what is it about
0: the ice cream that you like? You know, I I I, I love the variety of flavors. I've mm-hmm. never seen the different kind of flavors, and I love that I can go in and get a little taste of sure. a couple of things. We call it truck. a taste tour. I love yeah. that, and uh, I don't know. I. The salted caramel, some of the things yeah. that I have eaten at your place Thank you. pass anything I've ever tried. That's so
1: kind of you to say that. The salted caramel actually flies every day on Delta in Business Elite from New York to San Francisco and LA and we are so tickled that it has become that popular. It's one of my favorite flavors yeah, too. Yeah,
0: it's, it's just amazing. So, kind of an amazing life um, the way these things are happening. Now, how about Irwin Street? Uh, for my listeners who maybe sure. aren't from Atlanta, there is a Right now, it's the hottest place in Atlanta. It's right where the Beltline begins,
1: and Jake owns the Irwin Street Market.
0: Tell him a little bit about what that is.
1: Well, it was a refrigeration and and, uh, equipment drain pit, if you can imagine. It was a place where all kinds of big pieces of equipment would go in and be repaired. So it's an old butler building. we moved into in 2005 and we saw the vision. This was before anybody was talking about the Beltline. So
0: the Beltline was not even drawn up? It
1: was not even the uh, Apple and Ryan Gravel's eye yet. It was uh, a scary place to be. Old Fourth Ward was a scary place to be when we first opened up Jake's Ice Cream. Uh, It was not what it is today. The Beltline, of course, changed a lot of things, but it was already becoming a phenomenal place because of the bike path even before the Beltline came about. And we went in to a raw 6,000 square foot space that's now, we now have 13,000 square feet, and literally built everything anybody can see there. And the idea was we were gonna build our dairy kitchen because we'd outgrown the one we were in. And we still had too much space left over so I thought, you know, I didn't have an easy time getting that first ice cream parlor open and I was in 6,000 square feet for an ice cream parlor. That's a lot of square footage. Mm-hmm. But my landlord who was a, an incredible visionary named John Morrison saw the vision of what, it, what we could do if we did it right. And when we moved into the Irwin street market f- physical space, I declared then and there we were going to create an incubator and we were going to bring in other small food businesses and help them grow also. The only thing we would charge them would be the rent and the utilities to be there, but any other help that we gave them from advice to introductions to support was absolutely free. And it was our way of paying it forward because of the success of Jake's Ice Cream. We had to, I had to do something that showed our community that we were investing back into what we do. And not to skip ahead too much, but King of Pops was a perfect example. They came in right after Stephen had been let go from AIG He had this dream of opening up a popsicle business, but he had no idea how or where or what he would need to do in order to get regulated and approved and marketed and so forth. And he was so committed to making this thing work that it was almost like it was another business for me to go into. And I never took equity. I never asked for equity. I just wanted him to do well. What excited me was that his family got involved. His brother was a prosecuting attorney in Gwinnett County. He quit his job and came in. Nick, of came in and helped Steven, the mom and dad came in, the other brothers came in. It was amazing how they all pulled together and made this phenomenal brand that is now a household name in Atlanta. And they were doing it right in the Irwin Irwin Street, Street Market. Market. And then Little Tart Bakery did the same thing. They came in and now they have three locations. And every time I see them succeed, People go, don't you wish you had equity in their company? And I go, no, I'm just so glad I got to be there. When I first began to hear, I, I'm trying to remember, it seemed like there was a great barbecue place that
0: was in Irwin Street. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I know, they had moved out and they were on Peach Street. I forget where they were, right. but they had moved right. on. Oh, barbe- uh, Burrito Place. Burritos, right. Yeah, Bell's Burritos. And uh, then there was a great New Jersey pizza place right. that was in right. there. And, and I, I, it was so um, exciting to see just what you're saying, that you you were glad-
1: For them to graduate. For them to graduate. Right, right. And And it's very frustrating to our customers. Oh yeah. And we're gonna change our model just a little bit to make sure that we have a little bit more steady in the boat approach to what we do, because our customers do not understand why we give them something so wonderful and then that something wonderful leaves. But with the example of King of Pops, they did so well in one year they were able to go out and buy their own building. Yeah. I mean, that's how well they did. And that's our job as an incubator is to make sure that we're not taking our own personal selfishness and needs and holding people in by making them sign an unreasonably long lease or in making it difficult for them to want to leave. We want them to grow and move on. Not that we want them to leave us. We would love for them to stay, but their ideas for them to grow up and be a real, company that can stand on its own two feet and every example you just used has done that well, that, that that is they're ex- all major successes that's exciting
0: now is I don't know if I understand the Irwin Street community kitchens okay
1: that is actually the name of the incubator that's the incubator yeah, okay that's that's, uh, okay. that's actually our licensed name with the Department of Agriculture and I've got to give them their due because when they came in and said yes you're a shared kitchen but what if you were a community kitchen and I said well what's the difference and they said well a shared kitchen is renting space. And a community kitchen takes it a little further and you actually will help them with their labeling. You'll help them with their marketing and their networking. And I said, well, is there anybody else doing this that I can go talk to? So they said, no, you'll be the first one. And and we still are the only ones that incubate. There are lots of shared kitchens out there now, but we're the only ones who actually care emotionally and financially to make sure these people are actually gonna be successful. And we turn people away too if we do not think They've got an idea that's going to survive this very crazy business environment we're in. We will actually talk them out of coming in and tell them that they need to go back to the drawing board and come up with something else. If they don't have a business plan and they don't want to write a business plan, they think they can uh, wing it. Yeah. Wing it we, we turn them down because we want them to have every possible chance for success.
0: Now, where did this entrepreneurial did you know, as a young guy, that you had this as a as a kid? Did you demonstrate entrepreneurial
1: instinct? I think so. I, I I knew that if I wanted something, my parents were not uh, the the type of parents that spoiled their children. They were they had many fine qualities, but they were they they did not believe that their children should be handed everything. Right. So we worked very very hard. I mowed grass. I cut uh, mm-hmm. limbs. I raked leaves. I babysat. Uh, So I did all kinds of things to make a living as a teenager. And I even got into making seashell jewelry for a little while when I was a teenager and got a store, a very fine women's store to pick up the line because they liked the quality of the work that I was doing. I just liked having the wherewithal to do things I wanted to do. And my father specifically uh, taught me how to buy something on time. I didn't buy something that I got in advance, but I wanted my own TV set. I wanted to watch what I wanted to watch. And he said, well, I tell you what, let's go buy a TV. It's going to stay in the store until it's paid for. It's kind of like layaway, but we're going to go every Saturday after you finish mowing the lawn and we're going to give the East East Gastonia hardware, your money. Mm -hmm. And when you're all paid up, you're going to get that TV and i remember that as a wonderful thing not as a thing that i can't believe my father's not willing to buy me a tv they just didn't do that they wanted us to stand on our own two feet that sounds like a good smart way to do it it was it it was and it's 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 definitely had me fare much better knowing that it's not to me it's not up to me to expect others to bail me out or to buy my life i have to pay for it myself what turns you on more is it the food business or is it the entrepreneurial creativity of? That's a really good question. I love both because I love growing food, as you mentioned. I would definitely say it's the entrepreneurial thing because I have lots of friends that are doing entrepreneurial things that have nothing to do with food and I help them any way I can and I learn from them any way I can because they are not looking for a corporation to take care of them. And while I understand they're working very hard for the corporation, corporations tides change. And the idea of being laid off just before you're at retirement age. I've seen some that happen to a very dear friend of mine. He'd given 23 years to a company that I at one time admired greatly. And right before retirement, they let him go. Mm -hmm. And all of his vested uh, time with that company was gone. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that has to be that way in, in the corporate world. But you have a much better chance if you're working for yourself to prevent that. Let me ask you about Seth
0: Godin and for our, for our listeners, he is an American author and entrepreneur and a marketeer extraordinaire. He is the best of the best. And so you and I are at a wedding. I think we're at a wedding Mm -hmm. and somehow I don't even know how it, I found out that you had like just spent time with, to explain that because. I follow him very closely, yes. and he is a guru of gurus. So and he's
1: also a good. Seems man. like a very good man. He is a very good man on on every level. He's he's. I, I can't say enough good things about who he is. So our Irwin Street Market was in jeopardy of losing its lease uh, a couple of years ago. We trusted someone that we were looking to partner with, and he decided that it would be a very good thing for him to try to talk our landlord out of our lease and him into his lease. Oh, no. And we panicked and we didn't know what to do. And we reached out to Ryan Turner, who was one of the partners in Muss and Turner's. And Ryan came and spoke to me uh, out of the goodness of his heart, Chris Hall, who's another partner, did as well. And, and Todd. Me, I'm,
0: I'm a little behind on, tell me who the Turner. Okay, so is. Okay, so
1: and Turner is a wonderful restaurant. Okay. And okay. there's the local three and there's Common Quarters. Those are three of their restaurants and these are three of the finest food people in Atlanta and Ryan is now the president of the Georgia restaurant association. None of them knew me. They knew of me because of the ice cream Uh, and I'm friends with them all on Facebook. But Ryan got in his car and came over to Irwin street and sat down with me and I felt like I was old enough to know better. But here I am being coached by this man. And he said, one of the things I want to see you do is I want you to subscribe to Seth Godin's daily newsletter. It's the best. And I said, Seth Godin, he said, well, yeah, absolutely. Remember Fast Company, he used to write for them, and I'm like, okay. I'm thinking, what in the world difference is Seth Godin gonna make in my life? I'm screwed, this is not going well at all. Yeah. That was court, so there was a very happy ending regarding the, the lease situation. My landlord is, in addition to being incredibly fair, also wanted us to succeed. And so I subscribed to the newsletter with Seth, and one day Seth writes to us and talks about this new idea he has called ruckus makers. And he's going to give 80 people an opportunity to come and sit with him for two and a half days and become uh, part of his organization, for lack of a better way of putting it, as a ruckus maker. And the application has a link at the bottom and I'm reading this and I'm going, there's no way I'm going to fill out that application. And then I could see, uh, people saying, if you don't enter, you can't win. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to take a big chance and I'm going to fill out this application and I'm going to tell Seth Godin who I am and what I do. And what do I have to lose? I mean, I I, I might get my feelings hurt if they turn me down. Three days later, I was one of the first people he picked. And I cried mm-hmm. because I had to accept the validation that was mm-hmm. coming from Seth. I was elated beyond measure. And I went and and it was interesting because it was in my family hometown of Hastings, New York, where my great, my, my, where my aunt leaves. So is he headquartered? He's in Hastings. So he's not in Manhattan, he's no. in Hastings, he's is, in that Hastings. Upstate? is that upstate? It, no, it's actually just outside of, it, it's, it's real close to Yonkers. Okay. So it's very okay. close to the city. And we're in this big, beautiful building and I have asked in advance, can I fly up some of our new invention? We've created a superfood ice cream called Joy Scream and it's gone through a couple of different changes, but it is actually ice cream that's good for you. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but it isn't. We have taken coconut milk and almond butter and dates, and avocado, and plantain. Let's go get some, right (laughs) after after this is over, that sounds really good. Yeah, And it is actually high protein, low sugar, low glycemic, it's safe for diabetics. And I came up with that product because so many people said, I hear such great things about your ice cream, but I can't eat it. And because I have a heart way too big for my chest and it gets me in trouble all the time, I started working years ago on trying to come up with a non-dairy ice cream that would actually be good for you. And we started it with soy, and we found out soon that soy was not a good idea. A good idea. Tried doing it with rice milk, also not a good, not a good idea. idea. But these other things were actually great for you. Right. So he said, absolutely, please ship some up. And the stuff didn't show up the first night. And I'm like, I'm gonna fail right in front of Seth Godin. <laughs> but it did show up, thanks to Sandy, my business partner, the next day, because she reshipped. And then the other showed up as well, and it all came out okay. And Seth basically stopped the event in the second day and said, I want to talk about Joy Scream and Jake Rothschild. And my face is brown and red and sh- and, and vibrating. He says, thank you for doing this. And I said, you're welcome. And he says, this is the first time I've been able to eat ice cream in 20 years. And everybody is just looking at me and, and I'm already very nervous about being there. I didn't feel like I belonged in his room. Right and I, was the, I felt like I was probably the oldest person there I was, right. and I was close, but I wasn't the oldest. And my life changed because of that. I became brave, and it doesn't mean that I'm not scared being brave, but I became brave because of him. And some little things happened. Uh, there was a couple things where all of our names were on a T-shirt and in a book, and my name got left off. And I wrote Seth a note after this thing was over, and I said, was there anything I should get out of the fact that my name's not there? The next thing I know, I'm getting a gift box from Seth with things that have my name on it, my and
0: he has- So he's very generous,
1: his, his whole spirit seems generous. And that's the reason he does what he does. He's doing this completely from love. And I don't know that many people in my life right. that operate entirely from love, but that's what he does. Uh, I, it, I'm an emotional guy yeah. that, that puts a lump in my throat. Yeah. That is very, yeah. very cool. And the friendships that I've made and the crazy things I have done because of learning from him what I'm capable of doing include uh, our ice cream truck dying on the highway on 400 on its way to an event. And me deciding instead of trying to get that dang thing fixed, that I was going to find a vintage RV and I was gonna get it from wherever it was in the country and I was gonna drive it back across country and turn it into an ice cream truck. And that's not something that the Jake Rothschild that was before Seth Godin would ever do because I stayed in a very tiny little bubble. But I did do that. I, I went on eBay and I bought an RV. I had some local community support from dear, dear friends who became investors in the company to not only buy this thing, but to make sure it was roadworthy when I came back. And my very dear friend, Howard Burke, drove with me almost all the way back and everything, including it catching on fire and the gas pedal flying off in Hayes, Kansas, you name it, it went wrong. But that thing was more symbolic than actually That's practical. It. Makes sense. And it's in service today. We're, we're doing it. I would never have done that. Um, uh, lots of other things I've done that we'll get into because I learned how to believe in myself in a way that I never had before. That's that's all from
0: Oh, that's fascinating. Now I want to ask you about somebody else. Sure. Um, the executive producer of this program's a wonderful man named Neil Campbell. He is a foodie. He's a mm-hmm. great cook, and he loves Julia Child. Yeah. So I know she's been dead a long time, but I'm in Europe <laughs> a couple of weeks ago and I look on Facebook and you're over there yes. in her house. I'm in her house. Explain a little bit about what was going on.
1: Well, it came out of Seth Godin. Right. So uh, a great guy named Greg Faxon, who is a, an executive coach uh, globally, he, he does stuff uh, mostly on the phone and online. Uh, he started a bravery challenge and this was right after the, the Seth Godin weekend. And Karen Wright, who was also an amazing coach, uh, an extremely experienced one, uh, saw the article in the New York Times that Julia Child's home was now on Airbnb. And she came up with this idea that she would get a group of people together and have a week at her house. And she decided she needed a chef and a yoga instructor and a massage therapist. And she said, does anybody know somebody who might be interested in the chef part? And... I didn't have the problem raising my hand this (laughs) time, even though I knew she was going to say no, or she wouldn't say anything because I didn't know her that well. And uh, I submitted my name and a couple of weeks go by and she informs me that I have been chosen to go and teach in Julia Child's kitchen. And again, another major outburst of emotion because I came home every day after school and watched Julia Child on television so that I could learn how to cook and feed myself since I wasn't learning it at home and I thought she was self-effacing and funny, and uh, she talked funny, which I thought was great, and the food looked good, even though I never got to taste any. I knew that somehow, some way, I was going to incorporate her into my life, and our cooking school, the very first iteration of our cooking school, was an almost identical copy of her kitchen. I looked at pictures, and I looked at movies, and Uh, I, of course, later saw the Julie and Julia, which is a movie Mm, that I love, and really watched to see how things were created, and that's how I created my cooking school. But I got to go to uh, Provence, and I was in Placassier and Valbonne, took Sandy Haudeschel, who's my business partner, and she made the trip everything that it was because she spent hours and hours and hours and months and months researching how we were going to teach these classes and we divided up and she taught half and I taught half. And part of my heart is still in Valbon, which is the ne- the nearest, uh, next town. Incredible experience, incredible relationships were formed and, and I will never be the same having gotten to do that. That, that is amazing, <laughs> amazing. I, mean, I just, whew, yeah. that's really I special. walked into her kitchen and I, because I had created a kitchen almost identical to it, I felt like it was home. already home. Oh, yeah. But I could have sworn, Ray, that I felt a hand on top of my head patting me on the head because she was a tall yeah, woman real tall. with good luck kid accompanying it. I really felt that's what happened. The whole time I was there, I felt like she was glad I was there because she knew how much I revered her work. She was a major philanthropist, and I did myself – Sandy was doing the class planning. I was learning how to become a Julia Child expert. And while I'm still far from it, I watched every interview I could get my hands on. I read every book I could get my hands on. So I feel like I really do know her. And I do revere how generous this woman was. People would walk up to her in the grocery store, may have known her, may have not, and ask her how to do something. And she would sometimes follow them home and show them in their kitchen how to make something. She was incredible.
0: That sounds incredible. Now... When did the cooking school start? Tell me about that. It's a
1: funny story because we started the uh, within the same time frame that Groupon started. And we connected and we told Groupon, we've never had a cooking school before, but we'd like to give you guys a shot. And this was in 2011. And we sold, interestingly, 1,100 classes in our very first stab at, at being a cooking school. Is
0: it at Irwin Street?
1: It's at Irwin it Street, Street and it's the number one school in Atlanta now. We're very proud of it. We teach Julia Child's methods. even though we're not necessarily teaching her recipes yet, which we will be doing, we're teaching people how to have a good time, to drink while they're they're right, cooking right. so that people are allowed to bring their own bottle of wine. And we're taking the mystery out of foods that people love. So when people are eating our ravioli, they rolled them themselves. They rolled handmade raviolis themselves in our Possibilities class. Um, we do a superfoods class for people who want to eat healthy and want to eat something that's actually delicious and they want to eat fast. So it's called superfoods, super easy, super fast. And we, t- we literally will teach just about anything you could possibly want to eat. We can teach you how to, how to make it. But we use as few tools as possible because we want people to use their hands. Um, of course, there are pasta machines and there are all kinds of food processors and so forth. But we try to stay away from that as much as we can so that people actually understand how it was made before these tools existed. Mm-hmm. And our goal is to teach people who do not cook how to actually feed themselves. Great food.
0: I, I, am, I am overwhelmed. I hmm. knew I knew it was going to be a great interview. Oh, you're saying I knew I was going to learn a lot of things, but. Um, you've touched my heart just with oh, some of Ray, these things. You. Just the way, and you lead from your heart. I can I do. tell that's where it comes I'm from. I'm stuck there. Yeah. I don't know how to get <laughs> out. Yeah, I love there, that, though. There
1: are days when I keep thinking, I wish that I had a different personality yeah. than I do, but I don't know how to be any other way.
0: I, I get that. I get that. Now, I'm seeing on television now, it seems like a lot of these uh, reality shows yes. seem yeah. to cross has with uh, Jake? How yes. does that happen? Well,
1: they they love our kitchen. It's uh, the cooking school kitchen is really it, it was one of my favorite designs that I got to do. I was very fortunate that I was allowed to have free reign and design a kitchen that I that I really wanted. It's got you know big ceilings and it's got lots of elbow room. And they have been filming us since uh, I guess it's been about three years now. So we've done Real Housewives of Atlanta a couple of times. Uh, we've done Little Women uh mama june from the honey boo boo <laughs> yeah. series is actually getting ready to have a show that will be part of it was taped at, right. at, at, at the cooking school as well <laughs> and we don't know how we got on the list but we're fine with it, That's it's, it's, it at first we thought you know do we really want to be that closely affiliated with reality television but it's all worked out just fine
0: now i have never seen your house but i have met people who've been to your house
1: that yes. sounds like a charming It's a very special place and I don't live there anymore. I I have a fun story about that too. So there was this old bait and tackle shop and this old cricket hatchery and they were both sitting in ruins and were being used in some form or fashion as storage over in historic college park. And a friend of mine presented to me a flyer saying he wanted to rent these spaces out. He wanted to use, uh, get some kind of increased income from them. And I created the first Jake's ice cream without any storage. Mm-hmm. That was one of the big mistakes that I made when I first got started. Right. I didn't have closets or right. storage right. rooms. And I didn't think about that. I just thought about the public spaces in the kitchen and the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. That's all I thought about. So instead of letting him put the flyer up, I said, hold off. Let me come see this place this afternoon. And I rented it. And uh, I occasionally on the weekends, I would stay there, even though it was not. There was you know really very little plumbing, so to speak. There was an outhouse, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Um, and there was, I think, one running sink with just cold water. But there was something about that place that grabbed me and grabbed me hard. And I thought, I got to figure out how to be here. And uh, I got a, an architect to draw up a set of plans for me. And this is one of my favorite stories to tell. I go to the city council meeting and I'm sitting, standing in front of the mayor and council. The entire thing is being broadcast out into the lobby. And a little African-American man who would have been an African-American version of Clarence from a little, from It's a Wonderful Life, is mm-hmm. sitting out in the lobby listening to this whole thing. And they turn me down, tell me I need to tear the buildings down. That's that One of them is ramshackle. The other one needs to be torn down because it's too close to the street. If I want to, I can build further back. I'm on about an acre. It's the first real major real estate thing I'd ever purchased. And it was on the fringe of the bad part of East Point and the good part of College Park, but I was absolutely heartbroken that they turned me down. And I, I, I'm, I've I'm, been turned down plenty of times, and I've been told no plenty of times, but this, for some reason, hit me where I lived. And I fold up my stuff, and I'm walking back up the uh, path up the, through the audience and just feeling so embarrassed and so humiliated. How am I gonna tell my family that I have squandered this money on this property? And the man that I was referring to earlier, whom I'm going to refer to as Clarence, is laughing when I get out there. And Mary, who was the name of the 85-year-old receptionist at uh, College Park, says, Jake, come here a second. And I'm like, I'm not in the mood for anything y'all have to say. I didn't say that out loud, but that's what I was thinking. And she said, you need to hear what this guy has to say. And I said, okay. I said, I got to ask you first, why are you laughing? And he said, well, you're going to show them next month, Sonny. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well you know what National Geographic is? And I said, yes. He said, you go get yourself a National Geographic. Long pause, and I'm going, what? From 19 and um, 53. And you bring it to him for next month, and I'll bet you they'll let you build your house. And I said, but there's 12 months in a year. He says, Sonny, I remember the year. I can't remember the month, but you're in that magazine. Your house is. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that could actually work. If it's a historic space, maybe they'll see things differently. So I get home and I get on eBay and I ordered every single month from 1953 (laughs) from different (laughs) vendors that were selling. And the first issue that came was the issue. It was the September issue. And I open it up and there's a whole story about mail order crickets. And it shows a sign for the hatchery, which was this place. And I got it. I don't know how they put me back on the the, the schedule and the agenda, but they did. And I'm back there a month later and they've got their hands over the mic while they're whispering back and forth and passing the magazine back and forth. And I'm standing there stone cold frozen. Can't hear anything. Can't see anything but fear. And the next thing I know, Mr. Rothschild, Mr. Rothschild. And I'm looking up and he says, did you hear what we said? And I said, no, sir. And they all laughed and they said, we said, thank you for preserving an important part of college park history approved. Now please go get that building (laughs) taken care of. And I just, the guy wasn't out in the audience this time. He wasn't out there and I wanted to go thank him and hug him and thank him so much for giving me the clue, giving me a hint about what to do. And we took this house. And it went we went through three contractors. never saw him again. never saw him again. Wow don't even know if he was there. Right. I don't even know I honestly I, don't I get it. Mary's passed away a long long time ago, but in two thousand and six, I moved into a four thousand square foot three, and a half ba- 3 bedroom three and a half bath loft farmhouse that became a very important part of my life um little time goes by and Uh, it gets a little bigger and a little bigger. And then we added chickens and we had figs growing from the original builder of the house. He had planted them years and years ago and we had pecan trees. And I thought this place is magic. I'm just, I'm never going to want to leave here. That's what I had heard. Yeah, it's a special place. And we expanded the kitchen to, uh, make room for a cooking school. And then a couple months ago, I kept hearing the words in my head, get out of your own way. And I was like, "What am I thinking that all the time? Get out of my own way. What is this about? Get out of your own way. It just kept coming. And there was a house on the back part of my property, touching my property, that had been sitting empty for about six months. And it's on the National Register of Historic Places. And it's just a wonderful place. But it was in going into ruins. And I had tried to reach the owners of the house. And they did not respond. I was probably going about it the wrong way. I was going through Facebook instead of going through email. I mean, through snail mail. And I saw the guy who owns the house out cutting the grass. And it was the the last time I had heard get out of your own way was just a few minutes earlier. And I got out of my car and I went up to him and I said, sir, I'm your neighbor. He says, what do you want? He was very scared. He was not somebody from the neighborhood, so to speak. And I said, I just wanted to know if the house is going to be for rent. Well, you don't want to rent this house if you live next door. And I said, well, actually I might even want to buy it. And he said, why would you wanna do that if you live in that place? And I said, I really like this house. He says, oh, but it's been ruined. And I said, well, what happened? And he says, 10 pit bulls, three cats, five children, and two adults lived in this house and they have ruined it. And I said, I don't know if I believe that or not. But we went inside and it was a mess. But all the original tile work and all the fireplaces, the mantles were all still there. The kitchen was too far gone. And I offered him enough to make him stop cutting the grass. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was gonna turn it into an Airbnb. I didn't ever think that getting out of my own way meant I was gonna move in, but I did. I moved into the house about, I'd say four weeks later after we got it cleaned up enough, because it was in, in a terrible state. And the getting out of my own way meant that I could then rent my place out as an Airbnb and turn it into a special event facility. And we've let the East Point Farmer's Market use it for a fundraiser, and we are doing all kinds of amazing things with the cooking school that we have there now we have taught wonderful classes there and had a blast and that's what it meant to get out of my own way I didn't need to live in four thousand square feet I'm in two thousand square feet and even that's probably more than I need
0: that's that's brilliant yeah
1: brilliant. so
0: do you just have the one Airbnb
1: <coughs> no we have opposite the house I'm living in now on the next street we have an airbnb there and it's called the cottage at sweet selma farms then there's the farmhouse at sweet selma farms and we have a place up on lake hartwell called heaven on hartwell and that came believe it or not in a dream i kept dreaming keywords over and over again one night and i woke up at 2:30 in the morning and typed all the keywords into the computer and did a search in craigslist and there's my dream house and i met the guy a couple then the very next day and ended up with my partners buying that property, and just blown away by the fact that I get to be there every once in a while. It's more of a, a of a, a rental income kind of thing, but it's some of the most beautiful, untouched land and water and mountains I've ever seen in my life. Wow. It's just gorgeous. That,
0: that sounds so yeah. cool. When you when you I, I see the vision in your eyes mm-hmm. and how how it works. Do you vision board anything like oh, that? Oh yes,
1: I, I actually teach it. So I actually will do seminars where I will teach people how to make a vision board or a vision book so that they can actually create their destiny, their their dreams in reality. They can actually do that. Now, where did this come from for you? Who taught you? I don't actually remember where I got the idea, but I did know that if you can see it, then you can make it happen. Yeah. And I created a vision bo- book for the house that we were just talking about, the house that uh, is now the cooking school and all those other wonderful things. And I lost that book until two years ago and I found it And every page has come come to reality. That's that's amazing. That is amazing. But I looked at it every single day for years and it would make sense that if these were my favorite things, and this is the vision that I had and the approach that I wanted to take that I would keep that in my mind when I would make purchases or I would build something. And when I looked at it, I was like even the paint colors the same on the interior walls. I can't believe, that something was missing for seven years there it is and I actually did it wow yeah and I love teaching it to other people because it is a life-changing thing when you visualize it is
0: now any curious morning routine do you have a routine do you have anything that you do every morning (laughs) the same because
1: um I have three rescue dogs and so they get a little bit of my attention every morning I don't wake up the happiest person. you've So ever you're not met. a morning person. Okay. I actually am a morning person, but I'm not a happy morning person. Okay. Okay. I wake up because I dream very vividly and I have lots and lots of crazy dreams. Uh, I don't know exactly why I have them, but some of them are nightmares and I wake up and I have to have a pep talk. And so that's part of my ritual every morning. I have to talk myself into getting back in the game and fighting another day because what I do is not is as fun as it may sound, as inspirational as it may sound to, to some people, to you. It's hard. Oh, it's very it's hard. Work, it's work. No it, it's, it's a lot of work. And a lot of people question my motives. They're thinking you can't be this nice or you can't in some cases, people have said you can't be this stupid. Mm-hmm. Why would you, why do you not have more money by now? Why are you not focusing more on one thing? Um, I'm doing a lot of things and I'm doing, a lot of them well, and some of them I'm not doing well at all. And every day is a frightening thing to me until I have gotten momentum. And once I have showered and dressed and moved myself about a little bit and fed the dogs and started to hit my itinerant and ever growing to do list. I start to feel better, but I do, I, I very rarely ever wake up happy and okay. I've got, that's a big challenge for me that I'm working on.
0: Okay, so, but you do the self-talk in the morning, that's absolutely that's pretty much a part of your deal. Yes, okay.
1: and, and the self-talk is actually very kind. It's actually just coming out of a place of fear because it's like watching one long horror movie in my sleep. Right, And part of that is listening to, or watching TV when I go to sleep and forgetting to turn the TV off. Right. So I've got CNN or Fox News in my head right. all night long. and. I need to change my routine significantly so that I wake up a happy person.
0: Yeah, I get that. How about yoga? Do you exercise or do anything like yoga? I
1: I actually love yoga and I'm actually looking for a new place to do yoga. I haven't done it alone by myself ever. I need an instructor to actually follow through.
0: I wanna get into that because I'm thinking as I get older, yeah, flexibility plus the, just the peace, the, that breathing, I, the breathing, everything, that. everything that's,
1: about it. But I, I have a thing for kayaking and that's what I love to do more than anything. So I get up to the lake as often as okay. I can to do that. Okay. But yoga is definitely on my list. OK, I I
0: have a hunch that we could go for several <laughs> hours and I don't want to do that to you sure. or so your I, listeners. No, but I, I'm telling you, they're they're love this. And you have to promise we can do some more. I would love to because um, this is going to be great. Love to ask you some questions that sure. I've closed some of the other uh, programs Please. with, uh, just to kind of get your take on it. You know, my brand is called the Big Life, right. and I'm just curious when you think of living a big life, right? What does that mean to you? Uh,
1: living your truth, I, like I think, that. is the most important thing you can do. Uh, to, the, of course, coming from the uh, "to thine own self be true." You, yeah. you, if, if you're if you're living your life for someone else, I, I think it's a wasted life. Yeah. I think it's admirable when you want to give that much to another human being, but you have to live your own true self and your own true life and your own true passion. Yeah. Well said. Well said.
0: Do you have a favorite quote? Some people are quotes people and they just have things that resonate with. Yes. Do you have something?
1: Yes. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. And that's Ralph Waldo Emerson. Brilliant. Yeah. That's that's new. I haven't heard that. I like that.
0: Um, history buff at all do you oh, very much so who would be some of the historical figures that turn you on you really get jazzed about
1: um, I, I, I know people use these names a lot I would have loved to have known Ben Franklin yeah. I would have loved to have known Jesus Christ yeah uh, and I would have loved to have known Albert Einstein um, but someone who passed away not too long ago that I would have really loved to have known was Marie Sendak who wrote where the wild things are he was a very brilliant writer illustrator and i would have loved to have known him huh yeah I'm gonna and look. then i would have loved on this women's side because there was definitely i would have loved to have known Anne bancroft yeah and i would have loved to have known eleanor roosevelt very yeah. interesting yeah very interesting
0: have you read are you big reader
1: major reader
0: so what what's on the reading table right now
1: i'm reading a book that my friend uh rob marshall who is actually staying at the 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 uh, guest house right now by john about john muir who uh, muir woods was named for and he was the major, uh, influencer for the Yellowstone national park and, and a naturalist that really taught the, the world about how we need to take care of the, 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 planet that we have. And I'm reading that book very slowly because it's, I, I use the word li- literally, it's so delicious mm-hmm. that I'm savoring every oh, single wow. page. It's a great book.
0: That's very cool. Very cool. Gratitude. What do you, you seem like somebody that just is full of gratitude. Yes. Yeah. What are you most grateful for right now? The
1: people that love me beautiful. Yeah. The people that actually have taken a chance on me, I'm grateful for them more than anything. Um, I've, I've got wonderful people in my life, uh, generous people in my life. And I'm, I think that I was put on this earth to enjoy my relationships. And I truly have,
0: man, if you could go back to the 20 year old Jake Rothschild, maybe before even the hot chocolate experience, Any advice you'd give him?
1: I I do know that the words are identical to this. For God's sake, stop worrying so much. I worry way too much now, and I worried way too much then. And so many of the things that I feared were going to happen did not happen. I could have willed them into existence, but the more positively I thought, the more successful I was in making good things happen, And every time I worried, I sidetracked myself off the path that I needed to be on. So don't worry so much. Mm. Man,
0: one more. Sure. Hopefully 50, 60, 70 years from now, uh, you pass away and people gather from all over to celebrate your life. Uh, What do you want to be said of you when you're gone? He made me feel good about myself and about my life. I have no doubt that that is going to be said of you. Um, there's some energy that comes from you that is as positive and encouraging as any I've ever felt. Oh, thank you. Ray. And I feel so unbelievably honored that you would sit with us. That I'm honored so to be here. Really, thank really, you. Really I'm excited about our friendship developing same too. here. Same this here. is the start. So we need to do
1: yoga together. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I'm going to do it. I like that. I good like do. that. Hey, you've been listening to The Big Life. If you like what you've heard, do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get more information about this and other episodes of The Big Life at RayWaters.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash BigLifeRay. Facebook.com slash ray, Or you can follow us on Twitter at ray RayDWaters. I hope you'll join us again next week. The executive producer of The Big Life is Neil Campbell and I'm Ray Waters.